en hartelike goeie morgen, welkom by ons program Skriftierik, waar ons wekelik saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Deel ons passie vir die lewe op 657 Radio Kansel en 729 Kaapse Kansel. And a passion for life it is indeed, to the extent that is willing to drive here every Tuesday morning all the way from Benoni Bible Church uh, to Radio Pulpit in Kilmer Park in Pretoria. My brother in Christ, Rocky Stevenson, how are you doing this morning? Well, thank you, Vainant. It's so good to be here. Wonderful to have you on board. So for the next 55 minutes or so, we're going to delve into God's Word, just literally dive into the Word and search the Scriptures as Acts 11, uh, 17, 11 instructs us to search the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Goeiemorgen aan jou, my geliefde broer, sister, waar jy ook al is. Vir die volgende vijf en vijftig minuten, vijftig minuten of so plus, gaan ons dan saam die woord van die Heere onder. So, Caroline, baie dankie aan jou. Sy het al reeds een vraag ingestuur en die wezen van die program werk so. Ergens het iemand iets gesê wat nie vir jou sin maak nie. Jy wonder daar oor. Leefstel vraag wat het ook al kan wees en jy kan jou vraag instuur na hier die program. Jy tik dit op WhatsApp, jy tik het uit, jy sê die skrifgedeelte by waar jy wonder en jy stuur het vir ons dier na hier die program toe en dan Nou ja, pastoor Rocky Stevenson van Benaubi Bible Church, pastoor daar so, hy dan aan die voorpunt van volgende program, en nou ja, ons vertrouw ook dat die heilige gees hom sal hy, ek wil jou verseker, dat is voor die tyd bid, vir jou, vir jou wat luister, dat die Heere ons geestelike oor en oor sal oopmaak, dat ons nie in die vlees sal antwoord nie, maar dat ons in die gees sal antwoord, dit wat die woord van die Heere sê, Gees, spreek ons tot gees, daarom bid ons dat jou oor en oor sal oopwees en dat jy sal hoor en miskien is die heilige gees iets anders dan jou openbaar, that you would share that with us this morning and say, listen, it's a wonderful scripture, what you're saying is true, but how about looking at it from this point of view? We're open to that, by all means, you WhatsApp your questions to 082. Are you ready for it? Something's telling me that pen is not where you left it last time. Huh? All right, 082, open up your contacts on your cell phone, on your iPhone, Android, whatever the case might be, and store this number. We use it for everything and all things here on Radio Puppet. 082-657, and that, uh, just in case you wonder, it is also the frequency on which we broadcast, 657. Then the number 2, and then 729, which makes for a very unique number. It's on the Vodacom network. Here it comes, 082-657-2729. Rocky, let's start immediately. Clock says nine minutes already into uh, after 11, so let's dive into it immediately. Janice, by the way, you've asked a question twice Last week, prior to that, we're going to tackle your questions as well. But uh, Caroline, 
has asked a question, and even whilst the news was on this morning, says she to Pastor Rocky Weinand, who bepaal a alwetende God, wie voor wie moet sterwe, of is dit een geval van ons ken nou maar net ten dele, en eendag sal ons ten volle uh, ken. Caroline, baie dankie vir die vraag. Rocky, free translation, how does God, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, decide who dies, when, where, and how? Uh, do Does the Bible tell us in any way? Do we find the scriptures to that question that gives us an answer? In a, in a way that um, Caroline does somewhat answer some of her question, and Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine is a favorite passage that comes to mind that says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so God has revealed in his word a number of things regarding a question like this. And and some of that which he has revealed is that he has a set time and place for each one that is born. He knows when each one will be born. He also already has the days numbered and allotted for them, as we are reminded in Psalm 139 verse 15, where it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God already has created you in your mother's womb. He knit you together, but he also created all the days for you. And the in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about when one is born again, how God has created the good works for them to walk in those good works. And so God already knows exactly when you will live in the, in the span of history. He knows what generation you will be born into. He knows what family line you would be born into. You had no choice over those things. God was sovereign over that. What you do have a choice regarding is how you're going to live today. Are you going to live today in a way that gives honor to the Lord Jesus? Are you going to live in a way that will give him praise? What I wanted to bring to our remembrance as well is maybe two accounts, one of Stephen in Acts 8 when he was stoned, and Stephen saw Christ standing, actually, and Christ is always spoken of in the New Testament of, of being seated at the right hand of the Father, but Stephen sees him standing, in a sense, a standing ovation for somebody like Stephen, bringing him home as he goes home in glory and he breathes his last, he also prays that God would forgive those that were stoning him. You remember that the Apostle Paul was there standing by, um, having taken the coats of those that were involved yeah, in looking that stoning. After the clothes, yeah. But later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, we have the Apostle Paul, who's at Lystra, and he gets stoned at Lystra. And they take him out, they drag him out of that city, and they throw him onto the rubbish pile they believe is dead. The Apostle Paul gets up, he Terrible. shakes off the dust, and he goes back in and he carries on preaching. And the point I want to make from that is that even there, you're, you're invincible until such a time as God says, this man's days are up. Yeah. This person's time is up on this earth. It is possible that some people may go home a bit sooner than what they should have based on their own decisions and their sin, etc. But not even that takes God by surprise. He will receive all of the glory. So there is something of that secret things that belong to God where he knows this is the time that this person will die. This is the time that this person will be born. Those are things which belong to God. You might think, okay, but what about the person who commits suicide? Well, uh, there's many failed suicide attempts where people try to commit suicide or where they even do something pretty proper, but they still survive it because God decided this person's time is not yet up. And so you think of even the baby in the womb that is aborted. Even there, God knew this is the time that this baby will go. And that's why he says the kingdom of heaven to such belong 
you know, the yeah, kingdom of heaven yeah. belongs to such as these. So every day that is allotted, God knows already in the time of you being in the womb. That is quite amazing. What that should drive in us is actually a heart of praise towards God going, wow, what an awesome God we serve. Isn't it amazing? I'm thinking of uh, Hezekiah now, King Hezekiah, that cried before the Lord. Uh, and, and, and God sends back the prophet and says, listen, I've, I've added 15 years to your life. Is the fact that we do not know, uh, not the grace that we can say, Lord, Lord, you know, I know my days has been determined and I know there's a whole theology built around it with, with uh, Calvinism because God knows the day and God knows who's going to heaven and God knows who's going to hell. But uh, isn't that a question that God can change his mind about us as he did with Hezekiah? And even though if we don't know it, a lot extra days to our life, am I, am I wrong in that, in that line of thinking? Well, there's a lot that God does reveal, like you say, and um, even at one time God said to Moses, I'm going to destroy all of the Israelites. And yeah. Moses says, well, I'm going to, he prays for them. He says, Lord, no, please don't do this. You know, God said, I'm going to start again with you, Moses. And Moses then pleads for the people and the God, God uses that in a way to work in the character of Moses this compassion for the people of Israel. Right. But God is sovereign indeed over these things. Man still is responsible underneath God's sovereignty. He calls on us to pray. He calls on us to obey him, to listen to his word. You also see in a book like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a group of people that even would seem to have died earlier than what yeah. they ought to have died because they were eating of the Lord's supper in a way that did not honor him. Yeah. And they faced the judgment of God there. And so it would seem that even within God's sovereignty, he does at times take men earlier home and that means that they can't live out the fullness of their days and it would seem that the fullness of days is something of a blessing from God you can see that at the end of the book of Job where Job lives out the fullness of days he has he, he dies an old man somebody like David had a full life he lived to the fullness of days and died an old man and so you do see that as a blessing from God when you actually live out all the days that were allotted in that sense. Yeah. But God does know when will you breathe your last. This is something that is of his. Uh, Rocky, there are some people that blame God. They're talking on, on, on the lifespan of, of the human race and say, you know, all loving God. Why does a baby then die at such an early age? Is, is it even the Lord that determines something like that? Indeed. That Indeed. The Lord is over this. I think our problem is that we approach what we see in this world from a very humanistic perspective and we look at it from man's side yeah. so it's man-centered and we go all of this must exist for man and that is part of the problem of pride that we have in our heart god never created you for you he never created you for other human beings he created us for the glory of god we were created initially to walk with god what man did is he's gone his own way and yeah. he's reaped corruption and so even when you see a baby die that is not because god designed us initially that that would easily happen yeah. he designed the world perfectly but man chose his own way and yeah. if it was not adam and eve romans 5 teaches us that it might as well have been you and i yeah. or not well it wouldn't have been you and i we two males it would have been like uh, you and uh, i don't know your wife or me yeah. and my wife yeah. but we might as well have been in the garden of eden ourselves and we yeah. would have done exactly the same thing as adam and eve and so the reality of the brokenness of this world which even Romans 8 speaks on regarding all of creation groaning for that day yeah. of redemption is because we have sinned against God and we have brought about a brokenness. Right. So there should be a question in us when we see a baby die or when we see yeah. Um, you know, suffering or we see brokenness even within nature and we go, but why? And it should lead us back to the fact that we have chosen our own way. And when man has gone his own way, it's brought destruction. 
but God in his mercy has provided a way of salvation for man in the Lord Jesus Christ, All the right. perfect way. And so that should be the answer to that why. It should be this is the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and and he is the one who rescues us from this brokenness and this right. sin that is so uh, mangled and messed up all of his created order. Uh, just just a sideline remark, and I'm pushing it there. Caroline, you've asked a wonderful question, and I'm pushing it there, really. But you're, uh, reading that question and just listening to what you've said now, Rocky, God cursed the earth when, when Adam and Eve sinned. And, 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 and the Lord said, but he, but he sweat from your answer and say, you brought him botter for dien, uh, in vrouwen sal met pijn kinders in lewe bring. Is the earth still cursed to this very day? Is that why we see the brokenness and death and dying and, and the world in such a state as it is because of, of the curse that comes from there? Indeed. I mean, this is why what we see as well even now, the lion still eats the lamb. Yeah. The serpent still bites the child. This whole whole of creation has been turned in a way that it never was intended to be. God had a perfect will when he created man and when he did what he did in the creation order of Genesis 1 to 2. And you see that he said everything is good. Every yeah. day that it was morning, it was evening, and the Lord looked at his work and he said it is good. The only time he says that something's not good is Genesis 2.18 where he says it's not good that man should be alone. And so he decides to make a helper for man. And that was on the day 6 of creation. And Genesis 2 really expounds on what happens at day, at day 6 with what happens happens with man and woman and how they are created. But you do see that in Genesis 3 when man sins and the curse comes upon all of creation because of the fact that mankind has sinned. And then you see the the plane out of that all the way through the Bible until really Revelation 20 where you have this, in a sense, what we could call God's permissive will where he allows this brokenness in but he gets the glory still because yeah. he provided a savior. We have this mystery really of what God has been doing because even as the scriptures say that before the foundation of the world, Christ died for sinners. So this yeah. was God's plan all along. All right. However, he has allowed this brokenness to even give him more glory. And so he receives all of the glory through the way in which he rights all of the wrongs and makes everything that's broken fixed. And this is what we have as the hope as Christians, and this is the gospel that we proclaim, is that Christ came for a broken and messed up world, and that he will make everything right. There's a coming day where he will make all of his enemies his footstool, as Psalm 2 teaches, and he will destroy all that which is against him and that has rebelled against him and he will reign and so we look forward to a thousand year reign of christ where jesus will make all that is wrong right and where again we will have the lion lie down with the lamb but even in that thousand year reign of christ mankind still is sinful and so there is a new heavens and a new earth which we look forward to but all of this has to be viewed from the perspective of god's glory and what what is god doing in all that he has done he is receiving glory and when we see it from that perspective we start to look at it um, through eyes that are enlightened by the scriptures and by the help of the holy spirit to realize that he's doing what he's doing all for his own glory even within the permissive will of god the fact that there would then be a um, a, a flood, a All universal right. flood in Genesis 6 and that there would be the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 and the fact that there would be these nations that then split out and he would have this plan of redemption throughout the, and spanning throughout human history to bring about the redemption of all things that mankind by his sin 
has destroyed. And right at the end of the age, you've got something called the lake of fire, which yeah. was prepared for Satan and the demonic hordes. You've got a third of heaven's angels that followed Satan, and they are thrown and cast into the lake of fire, along with all those that reject the free offer of the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And everything that is wrong is made right. And the children of mercy that are then with him for eternity will, I think, from day to day just bless the name of God yeah. because of his awesome deeds towards them in Christ for all of eternity. How that will all look, I'm not too sure, but we've yeah. got glimpses of that within yeah. the scriptures, and yeah. it's just an awesome reality to think on. Well, it's the book of Corinthians that said what has not come up in the minds and hearts of those who love the Lord, he has prepared for those who love him. Something to hold on to in Christ Jesus. Caroline, bless your heart. Bye, dankie. A prachtige vraag wie daar vir ons gevraagd, die alwetenheid van God, wie sterf voor wie in Rocky, bye, dankie, dat jy die vraag vir ons geantwoord het. Ons sy levendigheid van 42 Jakobusstraat, Janice, you next up, thank you so much. Now, let me say in advance, we 22 minutes past 11 o'clock already. And Janice asked a question, and she asked it now twice already. Gewoonlik neem ons hier die vraag op vir daar, wanneer Rocky nie hier kan wees nie, of wanneer ek nie hier kan wees nie, dan saai ons dit uit as een vooraf opgeneemde program, maar Rocky het vir my gesê, kom ons antwoord haar levendig op die licht. Janice, I I so hope and pray that you are listening this morning. Say a vraag toe vir ons a vraag, en nou laat ek gauw by voorbaat sê, dit is a redelike, uh, a middernacht oliebrand vraag. Rocky het baie huiswerk gaan doen om te reen dit, so hou vast, buit vast, en hy gaan dit vir ons uiteens het. Dit wat Janice gevraagd, wat is die argumente teen geloof in die wegraping? What are the arguments against the rapture? Uh, we had this question now twice, and uh, both times had uh, not the time to deal with it, so we'll look at it this morning. Kom ons deel eerst moet daar hier nou. Ons kyk of ons kans kreeg vir die ander vraag. Rocky, do we have an answer for Janice with regards to this question? Yes, um, we, we, we've got a number of different views regarding the rapture. I think that we had one other question that came through that deals similar to this, and it will be nice to try and pair them together. The other question that came through last week was regarding the timing of the rapture from a brother that's been facing some difficulty at, with a colleague at work that's quite argumentative. And what I would say is that these type of questions do have the potential towards quite a bit of um, argumentation. All right. And so in asking on the timing, he asked about, is this the time of the sixth seal of Revelation where we see the, these cosmic events in Matthew 24? Does this rapture come at the at the same time as the second coming or does it come before the second coming? Are these cosmic events the same events that we see within Matthew 24 and the sixth seal in Revelation? And is this the sign of the Lamb? So there's a lot of questions that he asked all yeah. in all with this, or the meeting of Jesus in the clouds, will the church face the tribulation period, and will they be the ones that are martyred as the tribulation saints? And so you can see that there's this is a question that really does have a lot of there's weight no, in no, it. no agreement on it, even amongst Christians. You use the word argumentative, which means Christians to this day agree or disagree on, on, on what we're talking about here. Indeed, there's, there's a lot of confusion regarding the rapture. And this, this word, actually, rapture, doesn't appear within our Greek New Testament. Right. It's actually a word which we got from the Latin, which speaks of this calling up or this calling out. And so we use that, that terminology, 
but this is really taken from a passage within First Thessalonians chapter 4. But this concept is a scriptural concept, and this concept as well has this idea of the church being taken away, in particular before the time of wrath. And I believe that that's the biblical approach regarding the rapture, is that the church is raptured before the seven-year tribulation. And I'll, I'll try and um, take our listeners that way, but I, I do want to give a few preambles or openers to this, and I would encourage you, dear friends, to love your Bibles. That would be my biggest encouragement, even as we deal with a question like this that has the potential of opening a can of worms for a lot of people. And at the heart of the Christian faith, we must have a commitment like that. We must have a commitment that says, I love my Bible. What the Bible says, I believe it. That's what I'd, I'd hope that you, dear friend, would, would take with you. And I would encourage you also towards a humility in sanctification. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, be humble enough to be wrong with regard to this. Be humble enough to grow in regard to this as you seek the scriptures and as you look to grow. Too much of our problem often comes from this what what we could call theological pride, you know, a knowledge that puffs up instead of a knowledge that brings about a humility towards God. And we should not exalt ourselves as a listener to God's word as over the scriptures. We should be the ones that actually come and humble ourselves under God's hand and say, Lord, you're the one that spoke. Let you be the one that even applies this and, and works this out within my heart. So we, as we look at the scriptures, we must allow the scriptures to actually mean what that scripture means. And what I mean by that is that every passage in the Bible has one meaning, which means that if you and I disagree on a specific passage, then either I'm wrong or you're wrong or we're both wrong because God's the one that's right. He doesn't yeah. speak in a confusing way. The problem is us, not, the, not with God. The, and so when there's lots of confusion regarding something like the rapture, it's not because God has a problem in communicating. The problem is that we have a, we have a, a real problem in understanding. We have an un, a, a problem with listening. And so that's what I wanted to just give as a preamble, is that we need to love our Bibles, and we need to be a people that are humble enough to say, Lord, you're the one that must correct me. But the passage I'm talking about regarding the rapture is in particular 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, which says the following, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. That caught up together is where we get this rapture word from in the Latin. This caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And this is the point that that is made in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17. And it just so happens that I'm currently preaching through this section in 1 Thessalonians in our evening service at Benoni Bible Church. So if you want to go and listen to some of that, you can look up our YouTube channel, Benoni Bible Church, and you'll find that uh, on this last Sunday evening preached on 1 Thessalonians verse 13, well, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, this coming Lord's Day, Lord willing, we'll go through that section all the way to verse 18. So that's just a side, a side note. But in verse 17 is within a broader section within the book of, of 1 Thessalonians 4. And that, that section stretches from verse 13 all the way down to verse 18. And that's, that's important for the listener to realize because the point that Paul is making isn't specifically the rapture. The point he's making is actually about saints that died. Well, saints that have gone to sleep is the term that is the New Testament term regarding believers that have gone to sleep. And he talks about them and he talks about the order of what, what this will look like. And that helps us when we come to verse 17 of the section, not to just take it all alone, but to realize that this is in a broader section. And, and I believe that there's a lot of, um, 
difficulty regarding this doctrine and that it's under attack for purpose. And Satan attacks this doctrine a lot of the time. And the reason that he does this and why it's even under attack in our own generation is that he's doing exactly the same thing that he did right in the Garden of Eden with did, did Adam God and Eve. Say? Did God really say? Yeah. If he can cause you to not have confidence in God's word or to somehow twist God's word or, or, to, somehow, or to even now come with a different interpretation than is, than is a normal yeah. interpretation of God's word and to take a specific field of God's word and say, okay, well, I'll look at this allegorically when I actually look at everything else literally – then he's won something. What did he win when he does that? Now, it may be that you're truly a believer, but you'll be a hopeless believer because you're not going to believe what God says regarding the end times. And if you have to somehow believe that all of the things regarding the end times have already happened or are busy happening in a different way or in a different order, it actually robs the Christian of courage and it robs the Christian of endurance. But let's look at First Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 18, so that we get a better picture of the context of that passage that deals with the rapture. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about what about those who fall, who are asleep. So he's speaking specifically about a, a group of believers that have already uh, breathed their last on earth, so that you will not grieve as the rest do without hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So there he'll bring with him as he comes, when he comes, because he promised his disciples the same way that you saw me go is the same way that you will see me come. And he went in the clouds. And you remember the disciples were looking up in the clouds and wondering, and the two angels come and say to him, what are, what are you doing? Yeah, why are you, you know, staring up Why are you heaven? staring up into the sky? The same Jesus, he will return like this. Zechariah 14 says, he will put his feet right on the Mount of Olives once again. I think you've been there and you visited yes. Israel. You went yeah. to the Mount of Olives. I look to go there at some point as well and look up in the sky at some point there. <laughs> and then verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he's saying that there's there's going to be a rapture, as it were, of those that have first fallen asleep. Their bodies will be reunited with their soul where where this rapture event happens. And so their so, their body goes to sleep, but the soul is with him. You know, those that are absent from the body are present with the Lord. But they will receive their resurrected bodies at this point where the rapture happens. So this is why this is such a contested doctrine. And then verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's how you see them Actually, the, those that are alive on this earth at that point, not preceding those that have fallen asleep. And then he says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what is the point of this passage that the Apostle Paul even gives in writing the above? He shows us the order that we have of those who have fallen asleep and even the order of what happens at the rapture. The Thessalonican church was facing persecution at the time that he wrote this, and he wants them to be able to have an endurance in their faith. He wants them to have courage in the face of much, much opposition to realize that the imminent return of the Lord Jesus is at hand. And those that have fallen asleep will actually go even before the church is raptured. So part of why he writes this, you find in the first verse, verse 13, and then in the last verse, in verse 18, he says, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So how does the Christian grieve today? Not as somebody that does not have hope. He recognizes that God has a plan and a purpose even for the saints that go before the rapture happens. 
those that fall asleep. And then verse 18 where he says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. What words? Well, the fact that there's going to be this rapture and we will always be with the Lord. So when you realize that you're going to always be with the Lord, it helps you to live your life today for the Lord's glory. And so this is why he writes what he writes. The biblical doctrine of eschatology, or what we call the doctrine of the end times, brings about marvelous hope inside of the Christian during the church age. That's the age that we're in. We're in this age that was something of a mystery, which Paul talks about as being Christ in you. And this is not that God has forgotten about Israel, but it is a time which is called the age of the Gentiles, or the church age, where God in his mercy has decided to shine forth his glory by his church. And it also helps us to see what the Lord is doing with the Christians that have fallen asleep. It helps us to not grieve like they grieve, to see that God has done everything for his glory. So therefore, uh, why I think that this is such a confusing doctrine in our days, because the evil one has an assault on the scriptures. He can't take you away from being born again if you're truly born again. You believe that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again, that he is the savior of the world, and that Jesus is your personal Lord and savior. He can't take you away from being a Christian, but he can attack your hope. And he can attack what you believe as being scriptural. And this is what he does. He he says, did God really say this? All right. I just want to, if you've just tuned in, you're wondering what on earth are we talking about? Genesis asked the question, what is the argumenta teen geloof? in die wegraping. So dis waar ons praat, dis wat Pastor Rocky is talking about. Uh, what are the arguments against the rapture? And also a, a brother that uh, sent in a question, we've tied the two together uh, with regards to the timing of the rapture, the, the sixth seal in Revelation as well as uh, Matthew 24. That's what we're doing if, in, at the moment. If you've just stumbled across, upon this program and you're wondering, what are we talking about? This is what we uh, uh, are tying together. Rocky, sorry for interrupting you there. No, no problem. There's, there's so much confusion that abounds regarding eschatology, and I believe it's because the evil one wants you to be unawares. Whereas Paul even writes what he says. He says, I don't want you to be unawares. I want you to actually know about these things. Why? Because this gives you hope. This helps you to not grieve like others grieve. This yeah. helps you to get a bounce in your step. You're able to actually keep on being courageous as Christians in your day because you know about these things. So the Bible would have you actually be aware, Satan would have you be unawares, so that your hope is attacked. So this is something which actually should give the Christian a lot of hope. What does Satan want? He wants the Christian to not be bold in their faith. He wants... He wants to put a guard over your mouth, and he wants you to not proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. First Peter 2 verse 9 is a wonderful theme verse for the Christian, which says, But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Satan wants to put a dampener on that. He doesn't want the Christian living this victorious life in Christ. He wants you to live a depressed life. He wants you to have a hopeless life. And that's why I think there's so much confusion regarding these eschatological matters. He wants you to be darkened so that your mouth will be stopped. And that's what he's after. A little later in 1 Thessalonians 4, or a little later on than 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul continues to teach about the doctrine of the end times. And he says the following in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says this, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything to be written to you. 
Now imagine that. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit and you have the Scriptures. And if you're studying the Scriptures by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, you'll come to these conclusions regarding the times and the seasons. And in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night. This is the day of the judgment of God, the day of the Lord that he's speaking about, this day of the Lord that all of the prophets in the Old Testament speak about, and in particular regarding the day of Jacob's trouble, which is that 70th week of Daniel, those seven-year tribulation period. And he says this, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman who is pregnant, and they will never escape. But you, brothers, so yeah, he's saying, those guys won't escape this day of trouble. But now he's turning to the church and he says, but you, brothers, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. So there's a difference for the church. The church actually should be aware of these things. The church should be expecting these things. To the church, the rapture is imminent. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us for wrath. You see how the difference is here between those that can't escape this day of God's wrath, but there's us who are not appointed for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very salvation that we've received in the gospel has an element of it that is eschatological, that we will be removed from that wrath. Even as God has got this plan that he's got in place, and the 70th week of Daniel is coming, he's saying, you're, you're not appointed for this. That's why this rapture happens of the church. And then he says, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. This ties to that passage within First Thessalonians 4. We will be with him always. Those that are raptured, that are alive, those that precede us, that are dead, or rather asleep, who receive their, their heavenly uh, glorified bodies. And then verse 11, therefore comfort one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So what is Paul's point regarding eschatological themes? He's saying comfort one another about this. You're not going to go through the seven-year tribulation as the church. You'll yeah. be raptured from this. Comfort one another about this. Build one another up. While today is today, build one another up. Sadly, these doctrines have often become the cause of much breaking down of one another. Oh, well, we fight about these things, don't we? <laughs> but if the devil can get you to believe that the church will go through those seven-year tribulation period or that you will go through God's wrath, yeah. then he will distract you from your task. And then you start to think, Okay, well, maybe the tribulation is right now because you look around you, there's lots of darkness in the world, isn't there? You start to think, okay, well, now maybe God wasn't meaning literally that there's going to be the seven-year tribulation. Oh, God means it figuratively. Okay, so then this is the tribulation. I don't like some of the things that are happening. Oh, load shedding must be the darkness that he was talking about. (laughs) And so then we get distracted, and then we start to not live the way that God called us to live. So for for first and foremost, when, when one finds an attack on the literal, historical, grammatical, consistent interpretation of the Bible, we must know where it comes from. That's, not, that's coming from the evil one. And then we must recognize that the incoherent theology of these things causes an incoherent living. So what do I mean by that? If you don't have an orthodoxy regarding these truths regarding eschatology, 
and you're not having a right kind of doctrine, you're not going to have a right kind of living. And that's what gets impacted. You now have a hopelessness instead of a hopefulness. You have a joylessness instead of having a joyfulness. And so that's what Satan is after, and he tries to attack that, I believe, in many. So I think that there's a many a depressed Christian who can trace their spiritual depression right back to a faulty theology regarding future things. When you don't take God at his word with what's going to happen, you battle to take God at his word for what you're doing right now. You see how, wow. how, how sneaky mm. the evil one is. If he can get you distracted and deluded regarding what God's going to do in the future, and you actually look at God's word and you think, oh, but this is just some spiritual book that I can never understand. No, God spoke in a way that you can understand, and he gave you his Holy Spirit to be able to enlighten you towards what he says. So then it's up to you to actually go and study that out. Yes, there's secret things that belong to the Lord, as we touched on earlier with Deuteronomy, but there's things which God has given, which you are to go and study so that you can have hope and face this world in a way that would give God glory. So the gospel at the very core actually has this eschatological theme in it. The salvation is not just a salvation at that point of conversion, but there's a salvation coming. There's the day of redemption that God is speaking about. There's the day of God's wrath. That's that seven-year tribulation. But while the earth faces that wrath, in heaven we have the beamer seat where the church is standing before the Lord. Not a, it's a, not the judgment, the great judgment, but it's the beamer seat of Christ where the church even receives reward and actually suffers a bit of a lack if they've not lived in a way that gives him glory. But then there's the marriage feast of the the lamb and so while the earth is going through those in a sense those those terrible seven years heaven is rejoicing and heaven has has got a marvelous other outlook but even inside those seven years of tribulation god has ma- massive purpose because he has not forgotten about israel and that's a whole other question that we could probably look yeah. at another day and and spend a whole show looking at israel and what is god's purposes for israel and looking at things like romans 9 10 11 those areas in the scriptures But that's why Paul could say that we believe that Jesus died and rose again and that that makes a big part of the Christian's present hope. The Christian's present hope is Jesus did this and Jesus is coming back again. He came as the lion or rather as the lamb that was slain, but he's also the lion of Judah. He will destroy all those that go against him. Everything that's wrong will be made right. Another passage that comes to mind is 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 to 13. It says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, of the seed of David, according to my gospel, for which I endure hardship, even to chains as a criminal. Paul was motivated by the gospel of Jesus to actually even go and endure hardship and chains as a criminal because he had his hope set upon the future of what Jesus was going to achieve by this marvelous gospel. But the word of God has not been chained. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Part of this eschatology is an eschatology of hope because it has an eternal glory. It is a trustworthy saying, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we will deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even there, Paul speaks of a future tense, he will reign. 
and we will reign with him. There's a sense of the rapture that will happen, and there's that seven-year tribulation, and then there's the reign of Christ at the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And we who have not denied him, those that have endured, we will reign with him. So this is very victorious in its themes, and it gives us hope to endure the current persecution. Paul even said in another place in Second Timothy, those who long to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so there's this current persecution that we're under, but there's this future exaltation in the glory of who God is. There's the coming reign of Christ, which gives us hope to endure currently. We will come again, or he will come again. He will rapture his church and he will spare us from the wrath that is to come. So we don't, we don't realize, even as we think through this, just the themes of all of this that, that come to play. All right, uh, Ikaza says we have to take a music break as well during the program. I trust that you also hungry for the word of God and for the things of God as we're going to share a song by Oliver Tuan and Rihanna Nell with you. Hungry for you. When we come back, we're going to wrap it up on this question from Janice and the anonymous brother that had asked that question. I hope it makes more sense to you this morning that you can really and truly say, Ah, now I understand. But then again, you still need to go and study the scriptures. We'll be back right after this. Hope you enjoyed that, uh, Oliver Turin and uh, Rihanna Nell, a song called Hungry for You. You tune to Scriptural, Skriftierlik, Wans Kijk naar die woord van die en ons het volgend bykie aandag gewaie aan die vraag, wat Janice was twee keer ingestuur het, dan oor die wegraping en die argumente teen dit, vir dit. Rocky, would you care to wrap it up for us, please? I'll definitely try. There are a couple of different views regarding this, one being the amillennial view, then the postmillennial view, and the premillennial view. I hold to the premillennial view, which I believe to be the dominant view of the church age within the first really thousand years of the church and and then we had something of an allegorical view that came in over time which then formed some of the basis for the amillennial view as well as the postmillennial view and so those are some of the opposing views to this uh, idea of the rapture that we've been even giving this morning amillennialism takes what we call an allegorical view of the thousand year reign of christ and then it says that that's not to be interpreted literally and so it takes a figurative idea of this thousand year reign of christ and says that we're already in that and they say that the seven year tribulation already happened at 70 AD that that so therefore you don't have what we what we call the rapture they would say that's the the secret rapture this idea of the church they would say when we have the second coming of christ many of them would say we then raptured and the second coming happens all in one event and so they have much confusion regarding some of the timing regarding this because they've taken what's called a figurative or a allegorical view regarding the thousand-year reign of Christ, the seven-year tribulation. The post-millennialist view actually had quite a lot of people that were that were holding to this just before the First World War. And that was this idea that we were heading towards this golden age. And it was also taken from a more figurative understanding of some of the eschatological themes within the scriptures. And that really took a knock when the First World War happened. It started to have a bit of a revival, and then there was the Great Depression, and then there was the Second World War. And so the Second World War put the nail in the coffin for much of the post-millennial view. We do see some of that today, where there's this idea that people are just getting better, and technology's getting better, and we just 
get in better in all of these things and that they have this idea of this golden age of man. So those are two of the most prominent views just against the more literal interpretation of the rapture seven-year tribulation and the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so that's just to put those those out there um, for the listener to just be reminded of that there is a millennialism, there's pre premillennialism and postmillennialism. But but the I believe the biblical view is a premillennialist view of these things, which which really approaches this eschatological passages in the scriptures with a literal perspective, and they seek to have a a consistent perspective. So we would hold to a, a hermeneutic, which is the science of interpretation, being that of a literal view of the scriptures, a a historical view of the scriptures, a um, and really understanding it from that historical view and then looking at it within the grammatical framework and then seeking to have that be consistent. And and one of the, the things to bring to mind is that if God fulfilled all of the prophecies regarding Christ's first coming in a literal way, why would he not then fulfill the prophecies regarding Christ's second coming in a literal way? We believe that he indeed will do that, that he will do this in a literal way. So there's really two schools of interpretation that come to bear with regard to these three views. There's what we would call, and and it's really a broad family, you could say is dispensationalism. And then there's a broad family which you would call covenantalism. And a lot of confusion even within those two broader schools of our understanding of the scriptures. And so within those groups, even within something called premillennialism, which I hold to, you have different schools and there's different um, really places where people get confused regarding this. And this is holding in particular to those seven-year tribulation period. All premillennialists would say that the tribulation is still to come. And then so you would have what you would call mid-tribulation or what you would call pre-tribulationalists, which I would be. I'd hold to that view that we're still going to have the seven-year tribulation come and that the church is raptured before that happens. And then you've got mid-tribulationists, which say at the three-and-a-half-year mark that the church is raptured. And then you've got post-tribulationalists. And maybe that's something that we need to look at at another, at another segment of the show to actually really explain what are those three different views within premillennialism. What is the you know, the pre-trib, what is the mid-trib, and what is the post-trib kind of a view? But I just want to leave the listener with a, a final um, flow of events regarding the timing and I know I've only got like a minute to do that so here's the timing that is to come I believe from a biblical understanding regarding this the next eschatological event probably uh, statistically in our life is that you'll die that is an eschatological event that you'll go and breathe your last what are you doing with the Lord Jesus now and how are you living in a way that will give him honor but from a eschatological perspective there's nothing yet to happen regarding uh, before prophetically before the rapture happens the next major prophetic event eschatologically is the rapture of the church first corinthians 15 verse 25 the next event would be the rise of the antichrist where we see this in second thessalonians 2 verse 7 to 18 uh, sorry 2 to 7 where the antichrist rises and there's a number of other prophecies that you could write down if you wish revelation 13 1 daniel 9 verse 27 where you have the antichrist coming and uh, you know revelation 19 verse 20 the next event that will happen is the tribulation so the rapture the rise of the antichrist then the tribulation and this speaks of it's, the bible speaks of this in Revelation 6 to 16 with all the trumpet blasts etc and that's what we call the tribulation that's that seven year period of the trial of of um, Jacob and second 
Corinthians 5 verse 10 speaks of this. Revelation 19, 6 to 10 speaks of this. The next event after that is the battle of Gog and Magog, which is where the great army from the north comes and they come against Israel. In particular, you've got those, the mass turning of the Jews, the 144,000 in Jerusalem and that Zechariah 14 passage. So that's the battle of Gog and Magog. And then the next event would be the abomination of desolation, Daniel 12 verse verse 11, Mark 13, 14, Revelation 12, verse 17. Then you've got the battle of Armageddon, Mark 14, verse uh, 62, Revelation 19, verse 11 to 21. Then the judgment of the nations is next, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Then you've got the binding of Satan for the thousand years, Revelation 20, verse 1 to 3. Then the millennial reign of Christ. Then you've got the last battle, then you've got the great white throne judgment. Then the new creation. I haven't given you all the verses with that because I'm out of time. So to our listener, you can go and even check out some of this. And you could send me an email at Benoni, uh, sorry, at Benoni at Pastor, rather, Pastor <laughs> at Benoni, BibleChurch.co.za. And we could talk a bit more and I could uh, let, you know, send you a certain direction regarding some of this. But thank you for listening this morning to us. And we give, you, we give thanks to the Lord for you. Right, uh, Janet, I hope that somewhere, somehow, you found sense in what we shared with you with regards to a very, very uh, long answer to a question that you've asked in WhatsApp with regards to the rapture. We have to love and leave you. Sibong's 11 o'clock, ready with the latest news. Now, the responsibility lies with you to go and search the scriptures. Rocky used the words to go and love the scriptures so that God, through His Holy Spirit, can explain it to you, lay it out to you. Benoni, pastor at Benoni Bible Church, .co.za, pastor at Benoni Bible Church. Contact Rocky there. He will forward everything to you. And uh, Rocky, thank you so much for coming in this morning and uh, doing a whole expose on that uh, question. Till next time, all that's left to say is keep well, God bless you, and shalom.